Hi, I'm Dr. Kishishin, and welcome to our podcast series, PPE, Podcast for Psychoeducation During the COVID-19 Pandemic. I'm joined by Judge James Bianco, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge who is assigned to the Mental Health Courthouse. Today, we're going to be discussing the current state of the justice system in California and how the pandemic has impacted the legal process. Hi, Judge Bianco. Hi. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um... I've been a judge for the past 12 years, since 2008. Uh, Before that, I was a court commissioner, which is almost the same as a judge for three years. And then before that, I was a practicing attorney for 17 years. That's quite a long history in the justice system. I know, it makes me feel old. (laughs) Um, What experiences do you think made you interested in becoming a judge? Uh, Well, that's a funny answer to that question. when I was very young, uh, like five years old, my hero of heroes was Abraham Lincoln. And so I wanted to emulate him in every single way I could think of, including uh, I once tried to write with charcoal on the back of a shovel, which my parents thought I was a little nutty to be trying. Um, But, you know, because he had been an attorney and, you know, there were lots of famous stories about his work as a trial attorney, I had it in mind from a very early age that I wanted to be an attorney and I never really wavered. Wow. Well, you've definitely made it to the top. Um, how do you think that you got involved with our mental health court? A lot of our psychiatrists, you know, come to your court regularly. How did, the, how did that transition happen? Absolutely by accident. It was not something I was looking to do. I had been, um, a prosecutor and a criminal defense lawyer when I was in practice. And uh, for the first eight years that I was a bench officer, I was uh, in criminal, a criminal court assignment. And I never thought I would leave a criminal court assignment, but I was asked to go to mental health. Um, When you get asked to do something like that as a judge, you never say no. So I negotiated that it was only going to be for two years and then I could come back to criminal court. And then about six months into it, I realized that I loved this work. And that was about seven and a half years ago. And honestly, I I can't at this point imagine leaving mental health. What is it about this work that you particularly enjoy? You know, I, I think what I love about the legal system is working with people. And in mental health court, you're working with a lot of people um, from all different walks, you know, the people that come before the court, uh, most of the time have a serious mental illness. And I find that, um, I find that really compelling. I think it really brings out my most empathetic side. And a lot of our work, as you mentioned, uh, is based on, or our decisions rather, are based on, uh, expert opinions from psychiatrists and psychologists. And, I'm so impressed with the doctors that we work with in the court system. They are uh, very bright, very insightful. Uh, they're very fair. And, uh, and I find the subject matter absolutely fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit about the type of cases that you see at the mental health court? And how is that different than other types of courts in Los Angeles County? So what we do in Los Angeles is we group most of the mental health related cases in the mental health courthouse uh, where we have four uh, judges. And uh, 
in the mental health courthouse, we do about nine different types of mental health related cases, but I think they really uh, fall into two broad categories. Uh, either someone uh, is asking to be released from involuntary treatment, and that's, you know, there are lots of different cases that uh, can end up in that category. And the second uh, category is that someone's charged with a crime and there's a question about whether that person is competent to stand trial. But the common thread in our cases in this courthouse is that uh, most people that, that are in this court have a serious mental illness and uh, usually need significant treatment. I think part of why I find it so fascinating is I thought, oh, well, I'll be dealing with people with mental illness and they'll all be, you know, sort of roughly in the same category. And I could not have been more wrong about that. One of the things that, that impressed me right away was uh, there is absolutely no one size fits all. Every person's different. Every person with mental illness is different. They all have different needs. They all have, you know, just like everyone, they have different characteristics, different uh, needs and, and so forth. It, there is absolutely no one size fits all. Absolutely. And it's in the hospital and at our clinic in general, COVID-19, the pandemic has changed a lot of things, how we treat patients, how we operate. I'm sure that pandemic has also affected how the courts operate. Can you comment on the changes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it has been really a, a sea change. Um, we shut down for a period of time uh, and left only essential courts in operation. Uh, the mental health court was among the courts that were considered essential. Um, as time has gone on, we've reopened courts, but uh, we have really tried to drastically reduce the number of people that come into the courthouse every day uh, as a way to try to help prevent the spread of the, of the virus. Um, so jury trials, both in criminal cases and civil cases are completely on hold. Um, for us in the mental health court, the biggest change was that uh, a lot of the people that uh, come to our court are either in jail or are uh, detained in a hospital. Um, most of those people used to come to court where they could meet their attorneys, they could be evaluated by experts, and ultimately we could have a hearing on the case. Uh, and we haven't been able to have anyone come to the courthouse just for, for virus safety reasons uh, since March. So that has caused us to uh, really uh, do a lot of re-engineering of what we do. Uh, you know, these are cases that cannot be put on hold. We can't leave people sitting in jail or sitting in a hospital. They, they're entitled to have hearings. And so we've had to devise all sorts of new ways to have people evaluated and uh, to have them appear in court, uh, mostly virtually. I mean, you talked about the patients who are in hospitals. How has the civil commitment process changed through the pandemic? Uh, mostly because they're, or the biggest change is they're appearing by video now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting, this is something that uh, some had advocated for for years. And, you know, we would talk about it and some of the attorneys weren't particularly keen with it. And, you know, a video hearing is a little bit cumbersome in the courtroom. So I think some of the judges, including me, were a little ambivalent. And because of the uh, pandemic, we've been forced to open that door and to, to conduct video hearings. And 
I must say, I, I am uh, a true believer now. I think we should have done this all along. Um, it's still got plenty of glitches to work out. Sure. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's a little clunky and everyone, you know, different people are kind of up to speed at, at, you know, at different degrees, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does is it allows patients to remain in the hospital, which is a therapeutic environment as opposed to coming to a courthouse and sitting in the hallway for hours and having to send staff with them who you know need to be with them for hours in the courthouse instead of uh, helping out back at the hospital and for the psychiatrist or, or, or a psychologist that would testify in the case again they would come to court they'd be sitting in the hallway uh, we would be taking them away from being able to see all the patients that they need to see at the hospital. And by doing things virtually, we're able to keep everyone doing what they do as a, as a primary part of their occupation. And then uh, they just beam into court and we're able to have the hearing. And I, I, I'm hoping that it's uh, something that we can continue to utilize even after the pandemic is behind us. Well, that's great. It sounds like there have been some really positive changes that have come out of the pandemic and it, you're considering keeping them going. Sure. Thank you for commenting on all of these different things. I think that most people don't know a lot about the mental health court and how mental health and mental illness is um, connected to our criminal justice system. Can you expand a little bit about any misconceptions or things that people don't know that are important for people to understand? Sure. Um, I think the two key things that come to mind are first, there are an awful lot of people with serious mental illness that get caught up in the criminal justice system that really don't belong. And so the easy case is someone who gets arrested for trespass. And probably that's a person who was, you know, camped out in someone's alley and uh, really having a hard time with their mental illness and making a lot of noise or, uh, you know, someone ended up calling the police and you know I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to police officers about cases like this and you know they they are kind of at their wits end because they want to help the person uh, but they, they there oftentimes isn't a good solution and that kind of brings me to the second uh, major point which is that there really is not enough treatment available for everyone who needs it when I have struggle with the entire seven plus years I've been doing this work is uh, there are way more people that need help and that are willing to engage in treatment than there are opportunities for treatment. And even when someone is sort of knocking at the door for treatment uh, and the treatment is available, it's not always all that easy to walk through that doorway. I think as a society, we we have set up a system that is very uh, cumbersome to, uh, to access. And, and that's particularly true for someone with a mental illness uh, where they may not be all that facile at filling out forms and keeping appointments and, and things like that. But even if they have great family support or we're able to support them uh, through the court system, uh, it's very difficult sometimes to penetrate the system and to access care. 
right, agreed that access of care has been challenging regardless, outside of the pandemic, and now add a pandemic to it, and now you've added a whole different set of problems. But specifically when it comes to mental illness, that this is not only a medical and physical pandemic, but a psychological one as well. And Absolutely. a lot of people are struggling. You know, let's, let's talk about different things that are going on in the law. There was um, Assembly Bill 1810 that went into effect last year. For the audience, can you maybe explain what that is and how that has impacted uh, the mental health court? Sure. So uh, AB 1810 was what we refer to as mental health diversion. And so this was the legislature, uh, I, I think, recognizing what I said just a minute ago, that there are many people that are in the criminal justice system that have serious mental illness that really should never have gotten in, uh, caught up in our system. And so what the law allows is it, it, it allows a judge uh, to put that person on diversion. So instead of going to trial or pleading guilty, uh, that person can go to treatment for up to two years. And if they complete the treatment and they don't commit another crime, uh, then the whole case goes away. Uh, it's been embraced, I think, pretty well by the justice system. I think it's the sort of law that makes uh, prosecutors nervous, um, but it gives judges a whole lot of discretion. So. Ultimately, it's really up to a judge to decide uh, whether to grant diversion uh, in a particular case. Um, but again, what the we've sort of come up against is a shortage of treatment because the a judge can't grant diversion for someone unless there's a treatment program available for that person. And so once again, we sort of run into this uh, roadblock, which is a lack of adequate treatment resources. So, you know, I and other judges around the state uh, have continued to advocate for expansion of treatment resources. Uh, but, you know, it, it, we as a society haven't gotten to where we are. I think there are a lot of people that are trying both in the legislature and the mental health community. Uh, I think there are a lot of doctors who are really committed to this work. You, of course, uh, are a great example of that. Uh, but you know, we're we're uh, we are still woefully short on the resources that we need. Thank you for your explanation. Have there been any unintended consequences that are impacting you and your court? Um, well, actually, I. I I think I would put it the other way in terms of, uh, you know, sort of silver linings. Uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, hit all of us. And I kind of, I think we all kind of had to react very quickly. And one of the things that uh, we realized in the criminal justice system very quickly all over the place, not just in LA, but all over the state, all over the country, is that uh, people who were incarcerated were really in a, a, a very precarious place because there's no way to socially distance when you're in a jail. Um, you're, you're in very close quarters with a lot of people. And you know once the virus gets into a jail or a prison, it really spreads very, very quickly. And uh, so 
there was a big effort in uh, Los Angeles and lots of other places to reduce the number of people that were incarcerated. And uh, so as a result uh, of a lot of collaborative efforts uh, among uh, judges, uh, prosecutors, defense lawyers, uh, including public defenders and the sheriff, uh, the county jail population in Los Angeles was reduced from a little over 17,000 to uh, right around 12,000 inmates. Uh, and that took place very quickly over a matter of weeks. And uh, the results were uh, really astonishing because the number of cases of COVID in the Los Angeles County Jail, uh, although not zero, is, uh, is a lot less proportionally than some of the prison facilities that you read about in the news. And, I, and I've got to hand it to all the people that worked to make this happen. Um, one of the things that enabled that to happen was the county very quickly uh, did fund uh, a good number of treatment beds because we knew that a, a large uh, proportion of the people that are incarcerated in Los Angeles County Jail have serious mental illness. It's, it's something like 40%. Right. So there were like 5,000 people with serious mental illness. And uh, when you consider releasing a good portion of those people, um, you can't just release them to the streets. You're really, you know, uh, creating a whole new set of issues. And so the county, including the Officer Diversion and Reentry, uh, was able to very quickly put together uh, some uh, some really good uh, wraparound uh, treatment beds for a lot of people. And so we were able to release people, and and I, we went through this period where we actually had treatment available uh, for people that needed it, which was, I mean, as hard as it was back in March and April, dealing with all the things that we all dealt with uh, regarding the pandemic. And, you know, here at the courthouse, uh, uh, you know, it was a really tough time. Uh, but we were able to do a lot of really great work in a short period of time. And the kind of stuff that, you know, we're, we, we only dream about, you know, being able to put literally hundreds of people into good wraparound treatment. And that's any mental health court judge's wildest dream. <laughs> well, to say that has been an interesting time is an understatement. <laughs> it's definitely um, unprecedented. Um, can you, thank you. That's really helpful explanation. You know, I'm sure being a judge is, is very interesting, but has difficult days as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think the most difficult part of your job is? I think the toughest thing being a judge in mental health court is uh, there's an awful lot of sadness that you see day to day. You see people really struggling uh, in some terrible circumstances. You know, we have people in jail that are, you know, smearing feces on the wall uh, that are really, really floridly psychotic. Um, we see people that are coming into court that are not in jail, that are homeless, uh, that are also in really bad shape. Uh, I talked about the frustration of not being able to connect people uh, that are in, in dire need with treatment. So there's, there's an awful lot of sadness that I think I and, and everyone else in our mental health court has to deal with. I, I think in some ways the defense lawyers have it the hardest because they're the direct contact uh, with the people that come to court. Um, so I, I, you know, of all the various 
stresses and frustrations, I think the sadness is really the thing that, that is the most challenging. Do you have any coping strategies? Well, I think like everyone else, I just try to do the best I can to take care of myself away from work. So you know, I love spending time with my family. I try to get exercise, get outside, have interests away from uh, the courthouse. And then I think the other thing that's really helpful is, uh, you know, we have networks of judges. I'm connected with mental health judges around California and, and uh, other judges around the country. And I think to be able to have those connections and to meet regularly and uh, kind of discuss common issues, because we all deal with the exact same frustrations, regardless of where in this great country uh, a judge might be. So it's helpful to be able to sort of commiserate with my, my uh, colleagues. That's, that's very interesting, the judges network. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you have a specific memory of this time or actually even outside of this time that you would be willing to share with us a special moment so that we could see it from the eyes of a judge? You know, I, it, it's really hard to uh, say that there's, you know, one particular memorable experience, but I, I think what keeps me doing this work and what's really uh, memorable for me is to see someone get better. And, you know, I've talked about what dire circumstances uh, people can be in and, uh, and, and to see people rise out of those circumstances. In other words, we, if we just give them, you know, an opportunity to avail themselves of treatment, to see people thrive, that is something that um, it's the best feeling in the world. And I think seeing that every now and then is what keeps me doing this work. And I think it's what keeps everyone else, the staff, the attorneys, uh, even the sheriff's deputies that work in the courthouse. I think everyone takes a little bit of that with them and uh, that, that really good feeling of seeing someone do well. And, and I think that's, uh, that's really memorable. Thank you, Judge Bianco, for sharing. And thank you for providing a different perspective on medicine, which we don't necessarily get to see every day. Really appreciate you joining us today. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me.